Welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 228, where today we will be concluding the book of Acts starting in chapter 27. Uh, the title here says, uh, Sailing for Rome. Before I get started, um, I think it's important, I haven't talked much about geography, but it's important to get a lay of the land here. Google Roman Empire, just so that you can uh, get a visual picture of how vast the Roman Empire was. We'll see here that Paul is going to be sailing from Caesarea to Rome, and you'll get a, um, an idea and a flavor uh, for how far that is in the Mediterranean Sea uh, to get an idea of some of the events that we're going to be talking about. It's just a good idea to have in the back of your mind a picture of exactly what was being encountered back at that time. When you look at the Roman Empire, one of the things that, I, that just amazes me is the vast size of it considering the mode of transportation that they had in those days. And so everything over land was by horse or camel or, or, or mule or something like that. And of course, they uh, sailed ships by wind and, and sail. And so to be able to, to, to conquer that vast amount of space uh, with no motorized vehicles, no airplanes, no, no, no anything like that. It, it's just absolutely amazing. And so uh, it'll just give you a, an appreciation and an understanding for uh, what their sense of normal was back at that time. And so with that, let's get started here. Verse 27, or chapter 27, verse 1. It says, when it was decided that we were to sell to Italy, they handed Paul over uh, and some other prisoners to a, a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. And so Julius, we see, is going to be actually a kind of protector of Paul as we go through, uh, as they go through their travels. And so um, the next verses detail, you know, them sailing to various places, to Cyprus, to, uh, to Pamphylia, to, to different places as they're going, making their way from Caesarea to Rome. And it says, Paul's advice ignored in verse 9. It says, uh, now, uh, by now much of the time had passed, and the voyage was already dangerous. Since the Day of Atonement was already over, Paul gave his advice. And he told him, men, I can see that this voyage is headed towards disaster and heavy loss, not only of cargo and the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than to Paul. And so they kept on doing what they were doing. In verse 13, it says, um, when a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. But before long, a fierce wind called a nor'easter rushed down from the island. Since the ship was caught uh, and unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. So they just gave way to the wind and the wind just took them. You know, so they're in the sea. And I don't know how big this ship is. 240 some odd people on board. We'll get to that. Uh, but they're, again, they're no, there's no, no power source except the wind. And so they're just being taken by the wind in the seas wherever it takes them. In verse 18, it says, because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day. So they start throwing things overboard because <clears throat> the waves were just battering the ship. So I think they were you know, afraid that it was going to sink. So let's throw some things overboard to keep ourselves buoyant. In verse 20, it says, for many days, neither sun nor stars appeared and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope was fading that we would be saved. And so they're on this ship, the, the many days, just storm, winds, 
you know, <laughs> just battering the ship, battering the, the crew, battering everybody probably. And so their hope is, um, is faded away or fading away rapidly. In verse 21, it says, Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, you men should have followed my advice. So Paul is essentially now saying, I told you so. You men should have followed my advice not to sell from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. Now I urge you to take courage because there will be no loss of any of your lives, but only of the ship. So Paul is now taking a position of leadership. He's telling them, look, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Nobody's going to die. He's essentially saying nobody's going to die on my watch in verse 23. For last night, an angel of um, for last night, uh, for last night, an angel of the God I belong to and serve stood by me and said, "Don't be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar." And so, uh, Paul is telling the crew what his purpose is, what God told him. God told him, "Don't worry about it." Everything's going to be all right because you have to go appear before Caesar. And, it, and, uh, and indeed, God was graciously giving you all those who are selling with you. And so Paul is telling his crew, not only am I to sell before Caesar, but God has also told me that nobody on this ship is going to perish. So take courage, men, because I believe, uh, because I believe God that it will be just the way it was told to me. But we have to run aground on some island. So Paul's saying, look, we're going to be off, all right. Everything's going to be cool. Everything's going to be fine. But we have to run this ship aground. We have to crash the ship, essentially. When the 14th night, so it was two weeks, when the 14th night came, we were drifting in the uh, Adriatic Sea, and about midnight, the sailors thought they were approaching land. Then, fearing we might run aground, uh, no, then fearing we might run aground on the rocks as opposed to on the shore, you know, the rocks of the reef before they get to the land. They dropped four anchors from the stem and prayed for daylight to come so that they could see where they were going. They could see what was happening. When it was about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have been waiting and going without food. Uh, having nothing to eat. So I'm assuming that what, what was happening here is that, that they were saving the food, uh, saving the food. So they were afraid that they were going to run out of food, so they didn't eat. They essentially fasted for two weeks because they didn't want to eat the last of their food. So I urge you, this is verse uh, 34, so I urge you to take some food, for this is for your survival, since none of you will lose a hair from your head. After he said these things and had taken some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them. And after he broke it, he began to eat. They all were encouraged and took food for themselves. And all there were 276 of us on the ship. Now take, take a gander at what Paul has done here. Paul is leading by telling them what the deal is. And then Paul is leading by example. Paul is saying, okay, now it's time to eat. You know, everybody's going to be fine. And then Paul starts to eat. They, they look at what Paul is doing, and they follow his example. They start eating. So Paul, is he's a prisoner on this ship, but he's leading. <laughs> In verse 39, when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but sighted a bay with a beach. They planned to run the ship ashore if they could. But they struck a sandbar, and the ship ran aground. So a sandbar is ahead. It's not the beach. It's in front of the beach. I don't know. You know, a sandbar can be, you know, hundreds of feet. 
in front of the beach. And so I don't know how far they were from the beach. But it says, but they uh, struck a sandbar and ran the ship aground. The bow jammed fast and remained immovable while the stern began to break up by the pounding of the waves. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners so that no one could swim away and escape. But the centurion kept them from carrying out their plan because he wanted to save Paul. And so he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and to get to land. The rest were, uh, the rest were to follow, some on planks and some on debris, some from, uh, and some on debris from the ship. So debris from the ship, as the ship broke up and it was made of wood planks, and so debris is some debris is floating. And so, hey, everybody grab. If you can't swim, you grab something that floats and you get your butt to the shore. And so um, it says in this way, everyone safely reached the shore. And so just as the Lord told Paul in his vision, no one would perish and no one did perish. And so here they are ashore, but they don't know where they are. You know, because they've been, you know, the wind has been pushing the ship and it's been blowing. They haven't been in control. They've just been holding on for dear life. And so then they see some land. They try to get to the land. They hit the sandbar. Uh, the ship breaks apart. Everybody gets out and they all get to uh, all get to the land, get to the shore. But they don't know what shore that is. In chapter 28, it says Malta's hospitality. Once safely ashore, uh, we then learned that the island was called Malta. And so again, Google Malta. Malta is north, excuse me, is south of Italy. It's off the foot of Italy. It's south of Italy. And so uh, Google it so that you can see uh, where it is in proximity to Caesarea and in proximity to Rome. And so you can see where exactly it was that they uh, ended up um, shipwrecking. In verse two, it says, the local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire and took us in since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered, gathered a bundle of uh, brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. So he started a fire, a viper, a snake came out and bit him in the hand. So he was hanging on to his hand. Uh, uh, vipers are, are uh, poisonous. And so their venom is poisonous. When the local people saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, this man, no doubt, is a murderer. Even though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. And so I guess justice isn't just, it makes sense uh, if we say justice as in, as in the law has not uh, allowed him to uh, live. But apparently justice was also a deity that the people worshiped. And so even though he um, has escaped the sea, justice Either the law or this deity um, has not allowed him to live. This is what the people are thinking. And so uh, we go to verse five and it says, but he shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. This is interesting. Remember back, if we go back to Mark chapter 16 and verse 18, then what we see there is that uh, when it was being said that uh, that as far as a believer is, is concerned, that a snake could bite him and no harm would come to him. See, this is a manifestation of that. A snake has actually bitten Paul, a venomous snake, and no harm has come to him. In verse 6, it says, they expected that he would begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead. After they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. So before he's a murderer, because the snake had bitten him, 
And now, because he didn't die and no harm came to him, now the people are thinking he's a god. Ministry in Malta in verse 6. Now in the area around the place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named uh, Publ- Publius. I, th- I think that's how you say it. Publius, yes. Uh, who welcomed us and entered us um, hospitably for three days. And so uh, in the area, they found uh, a leading man of the island, and he um, entertained and hosted them for three days. It says, his father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So they heaped many honors on us, And when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. And so this is kind of an example of how we should behave when we come into uh, the presence of of other people and they're hosting us, you know, be be it in their home, be it in a foreign land or whatever. And so Paul served the people. He served the people, you know, and and, and that is is what Jesus did when he came. He was always serving the people. Doesn't matter how he got there. He got there via shipwreck. Uh, shipwreck. This wasn't a part of his missionary agenda, you know, wasn't a part of his plan, but he was there with the people. He served the people. In verse 11, it says, Rome at last. After three months, we set sail in an Alexandrian ship. And then they, they set sail, they hit Syracuse, they hit uh, Regium, they hit Portulio. Uh, if you look at the, um, uh, the map again, you'll see you know, if you Google this stuff, you'll see as they travel along the coastline of Italy going up, making their way up to Rome. Then it says in verse 14, there we found brothers and sisters and were invited to stay a week with them. And so we came to Rome. Now, the brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier with the soldier who guarded him. And so was that Julius? I'm assuming it might be, but I don't know that for a fact. Then it says, uh, Paul's first interview with Roman Jews. It says in verse 17, after three days, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. After they examined me, they wanted to release me since there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. And so, no, let me go on. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no charge uh, to bring, even though I had no charge to bring against my people. For this reason, I asked to see you and to speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And so what Paul is doing is, is he's going forth. He's, he's in uh, Rome now. And so he's speaking to the, to the Jews in Rome. Now remember, you know, the Jews have been scattered all over the place because of their, because of their behavior. Uh, behavior. Remember, the Lord got tired of them. He first, in the northern kingdom, he spread them out uh, from uh, after they got conquered by Assyria. And in the southern kingdom in Judah, they got conquered by the Babylonians, and he spread them out from there. So the Jews are all over the region. And so, and you know, but this is hundreds of years previous to that, right? And so they're Jewish, but I'm sure that they have adopted a lot of the customs and the culture of where they were spread to. 
And so Paul is in Rome now, and so he's talking to the Roman Jews, and he's bringing them up to speed on what has happened to him because they don't know. Again, if you look at the map, you'll see how far away these lands are. There are no telephones, you know, there is no telegraph. There is nothing like that. So there's only word, uh, word of mouth, and somebody has to tell you. For somebody to tell you, they have to travel to you. You know, so that's why people would write letters and send them with couriers, but it would take them weeks and months you know, to get to the destination in order to deliver the news. And so apparently Paul is the first one here that is aware of what's been going on in the east, you know, because this is west, and, uh, and so he's bringing them up to speed. And so he's telling them um, that, uh, that the Jews objected to his message that he was preaching, even though he wasn't preaching anything against anything that they believe in. He was just preaching what the word was saying. The problem was they didn't have the insight to interpret what the word was saying. And so in verse 21, it says, then they said to him, the Jews, being, the Jews in Rome said to him, we haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers has come and reported or spoke, spoken anything evil about you. But we want to hear what your views are, since we know that people everywhere are speaking against this sect. And so they had gotten information about, about the, uh, the issues, if you will, <laughs> that the way was causing, that Christians were causing. And so, but they didn't know the details and they didn't hear anything about Paul or what was going on in Judea. The response to Paul's message, verse 23, it says, After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. That's the same way it is today. When the gospel, when the gospel gets accurately preached, when the gospel gets actually accurately told, the gospel message, the message of Jesus, some people receive it and some don't. That's not on the person that's delivering the message. That's on the person receiving the message. See, we can't make people, I've said this time and time again, we cannot make people receive the gospel. It's not our job to force the gospel down people's throats. No, we present the gospel. Those who believe in Jesus present the gospel. Then it's on that person to receive or reject it. If they receive it, then they're going to need more impartation. They're going to need more um, discipling. They're going to meet, uh, need more uh, uh, education. If they reject it, the word says to, dust, to wipe the dust off your shoes and to step off and go to the next one. You know, you don't sit there and then try to stuff something down somebody's throat. Verse 25, disagreeing among themselves, these are the Jews, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said, go to these people and say, you will always be listening, but never understanding. And you will always be looking, but never perceiving. People will claim that they're in search of the truth, that they're in search of this or that they're in search of that. But are they really? 
Because a lot of times when people find what it is they're looking for, or when they find what it is they say they're looking for, they reject it. Why do they do that? Because they don't want to change. They don't want to. People may tell you they want to change, but they really don't want to change. People may say that, you know, um, I'm not satisfied with my relationship or I'm not satisfied with my job, or I'm not satisfied with this or that. And so you start to present options in order to cure the issue that they're having, and then you discover that they do absolutely nothing to move in the direction that is away from that uh, that they say they want to get away from. The fact of the matter is a lot of people have obstacles in their life, but they're so familiar with them that they become friendly with them. And therefore, they want to keep them around even though they say they don't. And so somebody that is constantly complaining about this or that but never does anything about it is one who has come to like that thing that they're complaining about. And they want to keep it around. Verse 27. For the hearts of these people have grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. <laughs> this, when I, whenever I read this, I always crack up a little bit inside because it says, uh, for the hearts of these people have grown callous, their ears are hard of, uh, their ears are hard of hearing, and, their eyes, um, and they shut their eyes. Otherwise, if they open their eyes and if they actually started to hear, I might do some good things for them. <laughs> you know? and so it's like they're purposely cutting themselves off from benefits. Yeah. Verse 28, therefore, let it be known to you that as this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. Paul's ministry unhindered. In verse 30, it says, Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so Paul is in Rome now. He hasn't gone before Caesar yet, but he's in Rome now. And what is he doing? He's doing his thing. He is preaching the good news. He is telling people about the Lord Jesus, all who would come across his path, that is what he was sent to do, and that is, in fact, what he is doing. And with that, we have concluded the book of Acts. We will pick up uh, and start the book of Romans tomorrow. Romans is, is very interesting, and uh, I trust that we all will be benefiting substantially by going through the book of Romans. Um, speaking of Romans, there's a book, or there's a chapter in Romans, chapter 10, that outlines the salvation from Christ, and what one must do to be saved. And what one must do is very simple. It says to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is in fact Lord, and you will not be put to shame, and you will in fact be saved. But this can't be phony. This can't be faked. This has to be real. This has to be a real inner core belief. You can fake people, but you can't fake God. Do you believe in your heart and will you publicly confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? If you do, the word says that one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says 
Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a promise from God. Do you believe it or don't you? That's the issue. Everybody take care. Be blessed. Stay safe. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should he grace us with another day of life, we'll see you tomorrow on the next episode of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.